This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Once again, blurring the lines of fantasy and reality. It's episode 491 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I wanted to go back and go back to Comic-Con for you one more time. Well, maybe, 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 maybe we'll do it more, but you know, for now, let's go back one more time. I wanted to talk about Third Eye, which is an Audible original podcast from Felicia Day, and there's so many other mem- great members of the cast. Will Wheaton's in this thing, and Neil Gaiman is the narrator. It's a fun fantasy meets reality type story that I think it's really cool. If you're a Felicia Day fan in general, this is very a very Felicia Day thing. And if you just like fantasy and you like making fun of tropes and stuff like that, this is really fun. I actually got a chance to talk to Felicia about that at Comic-Con. Also, London Hughes, who's a member of the cast. She plays Sybil. And I got a talk, chance to talk to the voice director as well, Jonah Ray Rodriguez, who has some great insight into this as well. So I'll talk to them for you. Also, I'm going to talk about Disney's Haunted Mansion. Haven't had a chance to review that yet. So now that it's on Digital HD and Disney+, Plus, I thought I'd jump in there and do that as well. And there's some, there's always some interesting little nerd news nuggets that I find. You know, sometimes it's stuff that you know about, sometimes it's not. So, again, I'm going to dive into some of that stuff as well and have a little bit of fun. But right now, going to talk Third Eye, an Audible original. We'll get all the details on that from Felicia Day and company next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer and co-creator of Deadpool, Fabian Niciesa, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. If you're looking for a new scripted podcast to try out, Third Eye is available right now from Audible on Amazon. And Felicia Day's big, big project that maybe you've heard about and maybe you haven't. I've got, there, I've got a few episodes in now. It's a really cool fantasy story that's got some you know fourth wall elements to it as well. And at Comic-Con, I got a chance to sit down with Felicia and some of the cast and creative minds behind Third Eye to talk to them about this thing. And actually, the first, and it was a roundtable discussion. And the first question asked of Felicia was about, you know, why she wanted to tell the story in this format. And she kind of dove into how she's been with this project for a while. So this project was my dream TV project, actually. And I, I tried to sell it in 2015. It was my follow-up to other things I've done, and it didn't happen to sell. And it was very heartbreaking because I had put everything into it but the wonderful thing is that I got the opportunity to talk to Audible about doing it and they decided to do it and they were like you're doing 10 episodes which was such an incredible gift and because it was happened to be over COVID I wrote 
pretty much everything myself. So, you know, when you're writing 10 episodes of essentially television, I made it exactly what I, the way I wanted to make it. And I will say that, you know, having been a part of a torturous development uh, process through Hollywood over and over again, this was an incredible experience. And it's exactly the way I want it to be. So you know me, when I get a chance to ask a question, I'm always going to ask about the characters nobody, if nobody else has yet. So I asked Felicia about her main character. What's your favorite thing about Laurel? My favorite thing about Laurel is the arc that she goes through. The reason I wanted to tell the story was I didn't want to do something fantasy like. I wanted to talk about something fantastical, but I also want to talk about a failed prodigy. I was a violinist when I was a kid. I was a prodigy in that. And I was also kind of a prodigy in the internet world because I was so early. But with that kind of overachievement at a very early age, you kind of can't ever live up to the expectations that people have for you. And having that sort of crushing self-doubt and not really valuing yourself for who you are was something I really wanted to talk about. And so I was able to put that in this very common trope of all the genre stuff that I love, which is the chosen one. Um, somehow, you know, you're anointed to be the one to save humanity and what, or supernatural <laughs> supernatural world. And what if you fail? How do you live with yourself? How do you live at all? And how do you heal yourself in a way and that's what I wanted to talk about so that's what I love about Laurel is this journey I take her through and the fact that it parallels a lot of the healing I've done personally in my life so one of the next questions for Felicia was if she wrote any of these characters with the voice already in her head and mind and I thought she gave a couple of really good answers here I mean I definitely wrote a part for Will Wheaton because he's one of my favorite collaborators he's so incredible in this part I think it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard him in and it's also heartfelt. I, all the people who are in the cast, except for I think one person was a personal friend of mine, and that one person, who's London Hughes, blew me away. So my friend Jonah Ray, um, who I've worked on with many projects with, he came in and did the vocal direction because I worked with him on camera and we worked so well together. I was like, can you direct this for me? And I said, we have one of the main parts uncast, and it's my best friend. So it's one of the most important parts. And I just had this idea of this, you know hotness, you know, British girl, and like, I don't know somebody like this, and he's like, oh yeah, I know this girl who I did stand-up with, and I watched 15 seconds of a YouTube video of her stand-up, and London Hughes just, I fell in love with her. If you meet her, you're going to fall in love with her too. She's a star, and she's one of the sweetest, most talented people, and she embodies hot mess in the best way. So, yeah, everybody, I mean, of course, I've always wanted Neil Gaiman to do the narrator, but you never know. Thank goodness everybody was able to make time to do the part, and honestly, it's a, it's a dream cast. Everybody just brings the characters to life in ways I could never even imagine. Third Eye does have a very interesting villain, so I wanted to ask Felicia a little bit about Tybus and learn about that side of the story as well. Talk about your villain a little bit, Tybus. Was there any specific inspiration behind that character? Well, again, we have the chosen one against the big bad, right? And these prophesized characters who take over, you know, all of our fantasy and sci-fi tropes, right? Christopher Judge uh, plays that part, and it's because I loved him in God of War so much. Of course. He's, and he's such an incredible performer and actor in person. So I was like so thrilled when he agreed to do it because you know, it's an audio, you know, it's a it's an audio project. Like it's different. I'm just so thrilled. And you know, at the same time, everybody had to be funny. And it's really hard being the biggest badass, evil person and also be funny. And he nails it every step of the way. So I'm really excited for hit people to hear him play this character. Uh, again, like the style of the project, it's a comedy fantasy, but it's not sketch. Nobody's playing a sketch character. These are real characters, real stakes, real life or death uh, circumstances. And that's what I wanted to imbue in the project. 
This next question was a very interesting one because, you know, with Felicia, there's going to be Easter eggs and third, fourth wall breaking and stuff like that. Somebody asked, you know, how aware are these characters of our world or how much are they a part of our world as we know it? So basically there are, the world building is very deep because I'm into world building and we didn't really, we don't even get to explore, but I've got a tip of an iceberg of the world, uh, which is really interesting, but um, we stay in our world, but basically there's a supernatural world that's secret among us. And like I said, like there's a, you know, an unhoused person might be, uh, you know, a legendary Russian folklore god or something like that. So everybody exists, all the world, all the creatures and people from folklore and, and fantasy exist, but they're hidden amongst our world. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. I want people to listen to this and then drive down the street and be like, oh, I wonder if that psychic shop is a front for a fairy. You know, I really want to have, bring magic to the world that we have around us versus escape into a different world. That's mm -hmm. a different, you know, this one is all about grounding in reality. And that kind of is reflected with the soundtrack. Like most of the song, uh, songs, which are amazing, are from the 60s and 70s, you know? So it really is, I wanted a place and a time of, you know, San Francisco with that kind of vibe, uh, that hippie vibe. I wanted that to be embodied in, uh, in the world. So you heard Felicia talking about London Hughes a couple of minutes ago who plays Sybil. Well, yes, I did get a chance to talk to her in the roundtables for Third Eye. And the first question to her was, what was it like to voice such a fun character? And yeah, you're about to fall in love with London Hughes. All right, check it out. It was very easy to voice her because I am also a fun character. So literally, <laughs> it was just me. I didn't actually have to change her voice in any way. It was just myself, high energy, so sassy. I'm funny. So yeah, it was a joy to, to be the voice of Sybil. <laughs> Since this is Laurel's best friend, of course I'm going to ask London about the relationship between the two characters. Talk about the relationship between her and Laurel a little bit, because I feel like everybody's got their ride or die, and I yes. feel like that's kind of what she is. Yeah, so Laurel and Sybil, they love each other. They are ride or die, but like... Sybil kind of finds that Laurel's quite annoying sometimes. <laughs> Sybil just wants to live her best life and, you know, steal some money, get, up, get into some hijinks, you know, have a good time. And Laurel, I guess she's been through a lot because she thought she was the chosen one and now she's not. And she's in this, not depression, but she's in this weird space where Sybil was still living her best life despite being in that weird space with Laurel. So they clash on some things. But ultimately, Sybil's very loyal and that's her girl. And she's going to help her. And she's going to, if she needs a ride or die, she's that girl so I love their relationship and it's and it's me as a person I'm very loyal so again I don't know how Felicia wrote this character as me when she didn't know me at the time but yeah Sybil is basically she has every all the moral compass of Sybil how fierce and sassy and confident she is but also how loyal and forgiving she is yeah I feel like it was so easy to be her and it was a dream to work with Felicia and Felicia doesn't know this, but I really wanted her to be my friend in real life. But it was so hard because she was so busy being a mom. And I understand. She didn't want to go for drinks with me. But I was just like, is this real? Are we really friends? And now I realize we are. She loves me to pieces. So that's great. <laughs> I also got a chance to ask London if she liked how this kind of series kind of blended the fantasy and reality elements together. Did you kind of love that this, I feel like this show blends the fantasy and reality mm -hmm. aspects of, of life a lot. Did you kind of like that part about the show? Yeah, it's so modern. Like all the references, obviously there's references for you like diehard fantasy stands, but also there's like references for people that watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Like it's definitely <laughs> modern, but in a way that's palatable and funny and, and, and then it's got the fantasy, which is in the way that's like old school, but then it's like a nod to the culture. 
and then she just like weaves in her own real life. It's just very relatable and it was easy for me, even though I'm not admittedly, you know, a, a strong, strong nerd person, nerdy person. As someone who's an outsider, I was like, oh, this is very cool. Like I was very enthralled by the whole world of it and how much attention to detail that she has. When Felicia wrote this eight years ago, so she knows all the characters like that. She knows their backstory, what would happen, what wouldn't happen, their their names, their full names. Like she told me my full, I don't even remember my full name. I'm like, I'm Sybil the fairy. She's like, no, you're Sybil, a grandma, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, Sybil the fairy. So she really like, and I love that, which made it so easy to work with her and to have fun with these characters because she really knew this world. And I felt like being civil, I really, I could really feel and I knew the world myself. Especially when you hear it, oh my God, the soundscape of it all is insane. So yeah, I think this could be really huge guys, honestly. I mean, London Hughes is in it and she is amazing. So I feel like it's gonna be a very, very, it's so different to anything that's out right now. And I think people are gonna get addicted. They're gonna be obsessed with this one, I'm very excited. So I was really lucky to ask London yet another question, and I asked her if there was another character that she liked working with on this series, and yeah, boy, was there ever. Other, other than Laurel, was there a particular character, a scene partner, that you really liked working with on this one? Because I've got a couple from the first episode, but I want to hear what you think. Okay, Will Wheaton. Like, oh, there it yeah, is. Yeah, so we yep. actually got to do our scenes together, and in a lot of it, we our characters are... We hooked up and he's still into me and like we have history and I find him annoying now but I kind of also kind of like him but anyway when we were acting and doing our scenes I could see his face we were in opposite booths but we could see each other and we'd be arguing he'd be shouting at me and screaming I'd be like will we and screaming at me like this is so much fun like I didn't expect this it's a Tuesday so um it was very surreal at that moment and he was really fun to work with but Felicia's so good at being Laurel she's so good at bringing the character to life that she made me be a better actor because she really she really was her and so yeah bouncing off of her was great it was so much fun and then essentially having a director come in like you do a take and say they have to climb a mountain and he'd be like he'd be like okay so you say this line as if you're climbing a mountain and you're like how Am I gonna say a line as if I'm? You're like, and then you like practice and freestyle speaking, but being, you know, out of breath. And then you're like, can I take? And it's like, try it this way. And then you try a bit faster, but a bit more out of breath. And like, just that process as a creative was so much fun to do. Like, when do you ever get to do that? So. Yeah, it was just like a party. Every day I came in and I was happy. I was pretending to fight demons or like do spells and whatever's happening. And yeah, it was very surreal, but I loved it. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Finally, I got a chance to sit down with director Jonah Ray Rodriguez for Third Eye. And one of the first questions to him was if what he, you know, did he listen to anything as research before he came onto the project? Yeah, I listened to like, um, I mean, I love there's like a, a radio cast recording of um, Lord of the Rings, which is really good. And I love uh, like listening to old like Twilight Zone radio episodes. Those are really, really rad. And, and they do a lot of that. They do like a lot of that stuff. And like there's something like I the, the audiobook I've listened to the most in my life is uh, Born Standing Up by Steve Martin. And that is like a thing where he's like so good at like kind of like when he starts talking about certain old bits and then talks about like the audience reaction and the feeling of like where like the physical space and then in between chapters it's like nice banjo music 
that like I like thought about all the things I liked about audio stuff and like just and, like I, like oh, the music like uh, like you know like right here should be this kind of thing and the way it fades in and the way it kind of can transition and all those like old radio shows do that a lot too which is like so great and you know it's like oh like this person has to be far away but they're too far away but like it's like you know yeah and I remember a long time ago I went to like Disney World and they had that was the first time I heard like 3D audio and it was like in maybe like 92 or something like that but I remember like sitting and then like someone like walking in and the whole panning audio thing and I like I was just like I was like we got to do a ton of that stuff <laughs> is that possible is it does, is that going to take up a lot of your time and like they're like it's 2023 it's easy <laughs> so one of my favorite things about third eye is the fact that Neil Gaiman is the narrator and he's so amazing at it so I had to ask Jonah about directing Neil Gaiman how much fun is it to direct Neil Gaiman and how much fun was it working with him in that role? Because that was one of my favorite things about the first episode. Dude, it's like, it was like, what, what am I going to say? I'm just like, you know, I'm just a joke <laughs> boy, you know, that like has like showed up and stuff here and there. Like I was like, and I'm talking to like one of the foremost like storytellers of like the Western world, you know, and like, I'm, and, like and I'm just like, I'm like, I'm sure he'll be fine. And he's very funny and very like, you know, affable, and, but he's very serious with like, it was just that thing. I'm like, okay, I'll let him go. But like, I was like, okay, you could be a little funnier here. Actually, pull back and go more dry Neil Gaiman style. And that was kind of. And then there was like, you know, I told him this. I was like, oh, try it like this and add this line. And he was like, oh, that's funny. And then like, um, I did it again. And like, and he was just like, that's not funny at all. Like, it was just. Like, <laughs> and, uh, it was like, uh, like, and then of course, my like, like coming in and coming out, my self-esteem remained the same. But there was a big spike in the middle of it. You know? Awesome, awesome. Yeah. And again, Third Eye is just so much fun. If you're a fantasy fan, this is one that you got to see. If just if you just love Felicia Day in general, and and I do. I mean, the second I saw Felicia Day's name attached to this, I was in anyway. But then you listen to it, and you hear not just how well it's put together, and, and props to Jonah and, and the sound team for that, but also how well it's acted and how it just seems like, like London was saying, everybody was just ha having so much fun doing this, and that really showed out. Through this, I mean, Sean Astin is a part of this as well. You've got London Hughes and Felicia Day and so many other wonderful performers in this. And it, it does make you laugh. And that's not something like, you, you know, you you know how you text LOL, but you're not really laughing out loud, right? Well, this one will make you laugh out loud. I can tell you that for sure. It's just an enjoyable story. It's really fun. And it's got some deep, meaningful stuff in there, too. But it's always going to keep you smiling for sure. So Third Eye now available as an audible original you can get the episodes right now you're not going to be sorry that you listen to this one because i i've thoroughly enjoyed it i'm just so glad that i got a chance to sit down with these amazing people at comic-con and talk about it it was just so incredible up next gonna keep the halloween theme going gonna talk about disney's haunted mansion the newest version of haunted mansion it's now disney plus digital hd we'll talk about that next with some spoilers as well i'm james Witham. this is the down and nerdy podcast Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is Dave Dust Malchin, creator of Count Crowley Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. A Disney classic brought to life once again. Disney's Haunted Mansion, the 2023 version, is now on 
Disney Plus. It's also on digital HD as well. I want to let you know that the Walt Disney Company did give me a copy of this for review. All opinions here are my own. And I, I might drop a couple spoilers here and there, but this is one of those times a year where if you were waiting to watch this around Halloween, you haven't watched it yet, you wanted to give it a shot. I don't really want to spoil everything because I feel like that's a douchey thing to do, so I'm not going to do that. I'm also not going to compare it to previous versions of Haunted Mansion because I think that's... I just don't think that's, that's... It's not constructive anymore. You have to treat everything as its own entity at this point, I think, and you got to enter it, enter into it with that. But yes, in case you don't know the story, this is based on a single mom named Gabby. She kind of hires a tour guide, a psychic priest, and a historian to help exercise some demons and some ghosts, actually more like ghosts instead of demons, that she, she uh, from a newly bought mansion that she had. Basically, she bought this place because she wanted to have a fresh start for her and her son. And as this movie was as this movie was going, when I went into this, I kind of thought, okay, that's what this movie's going to be about, right? It's going to be about Gabby and her son and her family. And actually, the story was much more, I thought, not, you know, we've also we always got the stories, the story of the house, the mystery and things like that. But there was really a lot of story on Lake Stanfield's character of Ben Mathias. And I was kind of brought in by that story, especially in the very beginning, they, they kind of hit you with it in the very beginning and the tragedy that happens to him. And I'll just, that's one thing I'll spoil is that his wife dies and you, you kind of see that, you know, he was kind of like this goofy, awkward guy and, and she sort of breathed new life into him and they kind of complimented each other so, so well. And they, it seemed like they were the perfect couple. And then of course she passes away and he invents something that can capture ghosts on film, and because he, he didn't really believe in ghosts at first, but she was a she she did haunted ghost tours and kind of brought him around. And he's got a very low opinion of the paranormal in the beginning of this thing, and you sort of see that evolve throughout the movie. But there were so many great characters in this thing, and I just loved it. I loved Father Kent from Owen Wilson. I I like Owen Wilson anyway. Okay, I think I'm going to like pretty much anything Owen Wilson does for the rest of time at this point. But Father Kent was a fun character. I was surprisingly really into the character of Harriet from Tiffany Haddish. I I thought Tiffany Haddish did a really great job with this. And I thought that the character suited her comedic style very well. And those over-the-top moments that she can sometimes have, it really fit in this particular character and in the story, especially in the moments that they did it. They didn't overdo it, which was, again, something I thought that was very, very smart that they did. And then Danny DeVito kind of playing like the crazy, like conspiracy theorist type guy. It was so perfect. And I just loved that character as well. But then, I mean, you see you see Jamie Lee Curtis pop up. You see Jared Leto pop up throughout the movie as well. And just the way they bring out these ghosts I thought was really fun and the way that they had a good story they actually had a good story in this and they and they did a good job of kind of you know bringing this story along of this Gacy family and what happened to William Gacy and all these other things and they sort of brought that along in a very good way it felt very linear I felt like I wasn't jumping too far ahead in the story at any point when I was watching this thing, and you sort of see the mystery of not just that, but of the, the house itself unfolding. You're like, why wow, these hauntings are happening, and how do you get them to stop? And you know, what was the what you know what else was going on behind the scenes on this whole thing, and just discovering more about the mansion and the ghosts as we go. I I, I was kind of worried that they would overdo it 
in this thing. I don't feel like they overdid it, and I and I don't feel like they ignored the story. That was the other thing that I thought they were going to do. I was like, well, you know, they'll just focus on the fun and you know a few scares here and there. They'll focus on the design of the ghosts and and you know bringing out you know different characters, and they won't worry about a story at all. They actually had a couple of decent stories running through this, so I I was very pleasantly surprised when I saw that. Now, I do want to get this out of the way because you're thinking, you know, can I watch this with my kids? Is it too scary? There are a couple of times where it gets a little intense. So I don't know if I would have younger kids watch this. I don't really want to put a number on it either because every kid's different. And, you know, every, every, you know, every parent thinks that, you know, maybe their kid can handle certain things, you know, at, at, at an earlier age. So I'm not going to tell you what number, what age kid I think that this is appropriate for, but there are some... I mean, there are a few intense scenes in here, and in the, in the very beginning, it's kind of okay. Like, actually, there's only a couple things in, like, the first hour of the movie, I would think, that might be a little bit over the top, and it might be a little bit scary for kids. You'll see it coming, though, for the most part. So, it's one of those things where if you do want to, you know, get, give it a shot, you'll, as a parent, you'll sense, because as, as a father of three, three kids, I've, I've done, I, I know enough about my kids to know when something's going to scare them, so especially if I know it's coming and I can avoid that, that's something you can do, and, th- and that's one thing they do in this movie, is that if, if there's something coming, if you think something's coming, it's coming. So, like, when there's jump scares, they are predictable. I will tell you that. So, if you're like, this is not a movie for hardcore horror fans, either. This is a fun-ish movie. And I say that, I say fun-ish, not to insult the movie, but, but to tell you that in a way that I'm saying that, really... This has some serious elements into into it as well, and it does get deep at times as far as the story goes. So don't think you're just going to go in here and it's just going to be fun, 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 fun the entire time. So just keep that in mind as you go into this thing. There is going to be there's going to be some laughs. There's going to be some fun. There's a deep, there's a good mystery going on here, but don't think you're going to go into this thing and it's going to be super scary. It's probably scarier than I expected it to be. You know, I wasn't legitimately scared at any point, but I thought some of the characters had really good and creepy designs and could be scary at times. But I actually thought that they actually did a good job with the effects as well. You know, were they knocked down, drag out effects? Do I think we're handing out Oscars or anything here? No. But there were plenty of times where I thought the effects were really good. I thought that they did a really good job of, of you know, bringing out, you know, just how serious and how dangerous this house really is. And again, the progression of Lake of Stanfield's character, Ben Mathias, I, th- I thought was one of my favorite parts of this movie, other than the actual story itself, which I ended up getting really into. And I love the character designs, too, especially when you bring it, you really brought out New Orleans in this thing in a really fun way. And the way that the characters, like, like, like the costume department, I think deserves a lot of credit for how neat this thing was because they did a fantastic job with not just the main characters, but some of the other characters. As well, and it was just a fun ride, man. I mean, if you're if if you're one of those people that just likes going into a movie like this to have fun, and then you hope it's a, got a good story to it, and you hope there's going to be some characters that you're really going to latch onto and enjoy, that's what this movie was for me. I actually ended up being pleasantly surprised by it. I know that some people hated it. I know that some people wanted to you know kind of compare it to the other versions of Haunted Mansion. That it, that have been done. It's it's a good it's a good movie. Is it a little too long? Yeah, it's a little too long. I'll I'll say that it's definitely a little bit too long. I don't think it needed to be too you know a little bit over two hours. But other than that, it's a, it's a it's a fun movie. It's got some good characters in on it that I think you'll latch onto and enjoy. So give it a shot. Why don't you? Whether it be on Disney Plus if you want to own it on digital HD. I think it's going to be coming to Blu-ray and DVD at some point as well. So you can always 
keep an eye out for that Disney's Haunted Mansion, which is now streaming on Disney Plus and, of course, Digital HD as well. So, yeah, go ahead and give it a shot. See what you think of it. I really enjoyed it. I actually do think it's available now on DVD if you want to go ahead, if you, if you, if you prefer, you know, the physical copies, stuff like that, like I do. So it, it's actually available that way as well. That's going to do it for my review of Disney's Haunted Mansion, the 2023 version. Up next, there's some nerd news to get to, you know, as we always do. Let's do it. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is a uh, writer, Ryan Parrott, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. What's it going to take for you to reach your streaming limit? It's time for nerd news. And I actually want to start this out with, I don't know if this is a rant necessarily, frustration that I think we're all feeling right now. And that is that, you know, pretty much every streaming service, Paramount Plus, Disney Plus, Netflix, pretty much all of them, not exactly all of them, but pretty much all of them. And I don't want to go through the whole list. Going to be raising their prices again. And we're kind of reaching... I don't know. I don't want to use the word ridiculous. Well, maybe I do. Maybe that'll wake everybody up. But here's the deal. We're reaching the point of, you know, are we paying too much for our streaming services? Maybe you already feel that way. Maybe you're already at that threshold. But I want you to think about this for just a second. What's the number? Okay. What's your number? What is the dollar amount that will make you say, no, it's too much. I'm not subscribing to that. Or I would never subscribe to that because I'll be honest I I always had the like $20 figure in my head right like $20 a month that's kind of my ceiling of what I would pay for a single streaming service and depending on what it is too there's certain streaming services I wouldn't pay nearly that much for and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into that right this second because I feel like that's a conversation that could easily be had for another day when we actually hit this mark but I'm thinking to myself okay so $20 is my benchmark and I think Netflix is a couple bucks away from that now with their highest tier plan. Now, I know you can get the lower tier plans with ads, stuff like that. Nobody wants ads, okay? For being honest with ourselves, nobody wants the ads. You skip the ad the second you can on, on YouTube videos and stuff like that. So let's not even talk about the ad plans, all right? You want the plans with no ads. And I know there's ways to get it for free. And, you know, you sign up for this and we'll give you Paramount Plus for free. We'll give you all these other things for free at a discounted rate. Again, I don't think that's a thing, and that's not something that's sustainable. It's not something that's going to last. It's like your first year, and then you get bumped up to whatever the regular rate is. So I can't even put that in there. So I don't want to talk about this too much, but I just want to put that out there. What's your number? What is the number that's going to make you say, nah, not for me? You can go ahead and you know send me a post on the X or something, at down and nerdy 757. Let me know what you think. I know you got a number. I want to know what yours is. Here's something that was kind of crazy that happened this week. Matthew Vaughn was on a podcast talking about all kinds of different stuff. He was on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. He was talking about a pitch that he had for DC with Mark Miller, who, of course, you know, Kingsman Secret Service, Jackass, I mean, excuse me, Kickass, <laughs> Layer Cake, and Stardust. Those are the things that Matthew Vaughn's involved with. And, of course, you know, Kingsman, that's that's Mark Miller, and Kickass there as well. So, they, you know, they've worked together on some stuff. And they were pitching a Superman idea for a trilogy that they picked to pitch to Warner Brothers. And basically, this was done before Man of Steel, by the way, that they pitched this. So this was a while ago. And basically what it was going to be about was that Krypton didn't blow up. That it eventually does, that, you know, Jorah was right, but he just got the time wrong. 
So basically, and I'm paraphrasing what he said on this podcast. So Superman's grown up. Suddenly there's a mass exodus. Then all hell breaks loose, and that was their idea. And yes, they'd still have Zod and Brainiac, and actually Luthor would be would have been the villain until the explosion. And then that's when Zod, Brainiac, and everybody and their brother would start showing up and wreaking havoc. I'll be honest. Way out there, not a terrible idea at all. Way, way out there. And I don't know how people would have responded to this. I know the diehards would have been out on it entirely. So I don't know that this is something that would have been very well received. And he talked about how well Donner did with his adaptation of Superman. So I don't know how this would have been received, actually. It would have been like, wow, this is a wildly different take. And yeah, let's go ahead and explore this. Or it would have been, man, this sucks. What a crazy idea. You don't know anything about Superman, blah, blah, blah. But I'll be honest. If we're talking like an Elseworlds type story, I could see this. I could see this possibly working. I could see this having legs and maybe being something that should be that should be looked into or could be done. Now, apparently, he said that he's talked to James Gunn and Peter Safran about doing some DC stuff. And remember, there are there are going to be some Elseworlds projects that are going to be a part of this new DC studio. So, while this might not be a live action type thing, I got to think that maybe this is something that could live on in animation because let's face it. The DC animated movies are, are are very well made, and quite frankly, you know, budget wise, not so bad, right? You don't have to worry about, you know, the fit your effects budget or even necessarily your budget for your actors. Although, if James Gunn wants to keep that continuity there of live action and and animation voices and stuff like that, maybe not. But if the, again, if this is an Elseworld story and this kind of seems like it would be one of those. I think this is something could be done. So I'm interested. I'm intrigued. I don't know if I'm intrigued enough to, you know, bang the drum too much about this thing. But at the same time, I'm intrigued. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing where a story like this would go, but I don't know. This is one where I'm like half excited, half confused sort of thing. So I, it's, I, I think that we've certainly got a ton of Batman projects. I don't think that, you know, Red Sun's really the only one that pops to mind. And we're talking about Superman Elseworlds projects. I know that the die, the comics diehards are going to have more for me because, you know, I was never really that into da- to Elseworlds when I was reading comics. So, yeah, that's, that's I, I don't remember all of them. So, yeah, if you got one, let me know. Or if there's another Superman one that I'm missing. But this one I think could be interesting. And Matthew Vaughn and company, I would love to see the one to be behind this. So, Gargoyles is coming back from Disney, but... Maybe not in the way you might think, because it was announced by multiple outlets. Now the Disney Plus is going to have a live-action Gargoyles series, and that's going to be coming. Of course, this was reported by The Hollywood Reporter, Variety, and a bunch of others, and they actually get a hold of a synopsis for this thing. And it basically said, Goliath is the last of a heroic race of gargoyle warriors who once lived amongst mankind, free from a centuries-long curse that turned him into stone, Goliath struggles to solve the mystery of his past while watching over modern-day New York City alongside police detective Eliza Maza. So, here's the thing. This is definitely something that's a little bit of a departure because we're talking about Last of the Gargoyles, which, you know, there are plenty of gargoyles in that original series. So, I don't know if this is one of those things where he thinks he's the last one and he's not or if they're really going to make him the last one, or if this is going to be some sort of a departure. But quite frankly, if this is a reboot anyway, 
it's going to be a little bit of a departure. So you've got one of two ways of looking at this. You, do, you can either look at this as, yay, we're getting a gargoyle story. That's pretty cool, right? Or you can look at this and say, I don't know that this should be a thing. You know, maybe you should sometimes just let things be what they are. Let it have that fan mystique that it's always had gargoyles, something that fans have always really, really loved, and just let it be. Or, you know what? Just throw caution in the wind and say, at least we're getting something new, and we'll see what happens. So, I've, I, I'll be honest, I was never a huge gargoyles guy, so maybe I don't have as passionate of a reaction to this as some others might. And I certainly understand, obviously we're all fans of something, right? So, I could understand if this was something that I loved. Like, I never want them to touch Back to the Future ever. Leave it the way it is. I never want to see it rebooted, redone, anything like that. I know that they did animated series and they've done some video games and stuff like that, but I never want them to try and reboot that, redo that, anything. So, I mean, if you've got something that's near and dear to your heart like that, and, you know, it's I, I don't know. This one, to me, has danger written all over it. I don't know that this is something I would really want to see. I mean, I'm, I'm cool to, to see how it goes, but again, especially in live action, it's got to look right as much as it's got to feel right. And I just, this has the ability to look a little cheesy, especially when we've seen some of these Marvel series, some of the effects they've had, they can look kind of cheesy. So I don't know that this sucker's going to get the budget to look the way it should. So that's why I'm a little bit worried about it too. But you know what? We'll see how it goes. And, you know, sometimes there are certain things that make you a star, but then maybe they hang on a little bit too long. And I'm talking about Millie Bobby Brown, who was kind of ready for Stranger Things to be over. And maybe as a fan, you're thinking the same thing. She took she talked to Glamour, and I never thought I'd ever reference Glamour ever on this show. But, you know, sometimes stuff like this happens. And she says, when you're ready, you're like, all right, let's do this. Let's tackle this senior year and let's get out of here. Stranger Things has taken up a lot of time to film, and it's preventing me from creating stories that I'm passionate about. So I'm ready to say thank you and goodbye. Here's where she went wrong. (laughs) She should have just said the, so I'm ready to say thank you and goodbye part. It's where she says, Stranger Things has taken up a lot of my time to film, and it's preventing me from creating stories that I'm passionate about. That's That's where she went wrong, Okay. And that's the only part. I mean, if you want to read the whole article, knock yourself out. You can can grab your copy of Glamour and you can read it. Now, I think that she's not the only one that feels this way. So I'll say that right away. But at the same time, there's a level of being grateful. And I'm sure she is. I'm not saying she's not. But that's the way it comes off. Like, all right, let's, let's wrap this up because, you know, I'm done here. like to do other stuff. And I'm sure that Everybody from that, you know, they'd like to do other stuff as well. But quite frankly, without Stranger Things, do we even know who Millie Bobby Brown is? I'm not saying she's not talented. I'm not saying that she wouldn't have been discovered at some point. But she rose to the level of fame that she did because of Stranger Things. And we can't deny that. And she has done other stuff. She's, you know, those two Enola Holmes movies that are out. And that's just off the top of my head. And I know she's done other stuff. She was in God, that second Godzilla movie, too, that's, you know, that's title escapes me off the top of my head but you know she's done other things so she's still been able to do stuff and it's certainly certainly know that stranger things has taken its breaks so it's not like you know it's not like that she's been filming this the entire time so all right here's the deal i understand what she where she's coming from and i'm sure that you know 
even she probably realizes she could have worded it differently. I get it. But it just comes off as you're like, hey, this is keeping me from doing other stuff. But again, at the same time, you signed on for this. You agreed to do this. You stayed on. At some point, you had to agree to see this through to the end. And if that, and it is what it is, right? You, you knew what you were getting yourself into at the same time. So hopefully she realizes that. I know that, you know, it's been a long haul for Stranger Things. And yeah, there's been delays on top of delays for multiple reasons, whether it be because of the pandemic and now the strike and all their things. But you know what? I think everybody will be happy, A, when it was over, but B, the fact that we got this in the first place and it ran as long as it did. A couple trailers to talk about. I want to talk about a new show from MGM Plus that's going to be coming out on November the 12th, and that is Beacon 23, which is kind of a science fiction mystery thriller love story all wrapped into one and lena hetty's in this of course from game of thrones and stefan james who was who's in an apple tv plus series recently <laughs> again i can't think of the friggin' name of it but he's been in some other stuff as well lena hetty plays aster she's a government agent and she's basically in the farthest reaches of the milky way galaxy and she gets discovered because she was kind of her ship crashed by Harlan, who's an ex-military guy, and their fates kind of just become entangled. As I paraphrase the, I feel like paraphrase the synopsis here. And she's there's there's many beacons that serve this lighthouse of intergalactic travelers, and she just happens to be at the twenty third beacon. And why is she there? And what is the deal with this thing? And yes, there's AI involved, and and the mystery of not just the beacon, but of Harlan is what's a part of this series. And in the trailer, and I'll be honest, the trailer is confusing as hell. It really is. And and don't, you know, I know you say that, oh, the effects don't look right, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's a trailer. These probably aren't the final effects, so chill. Okay? So there, that's that's part of this, too. But there's, you know, it seems like there's, everybody's got their different agenda. And, you know, whose agenda is the right agenda? And maybe they should have agendas together. And maybe there's the fact that, you know, there's the mystery of what's going on here isn't exactly solved. Right, so there's a lot of confusion here, and the trailer doesn't reveal much. And I'm kind of glad that it didn't, but at the same time, kind of wishing that it revealed a little bit more. This looks intriguing enough for me to check out. Of course, the first two episodes drop on MGM Plus at 9 p.m. on November the 12th. So again, the acting and the the, the actors in this are good enough to make me want to 100 percent check this out. I'm just worried that it's going to be confusing for the sake of confusing, which certain sci-fi series tend to be. If you give me some answers in the first couple of episodes that are actually going to lead me down a path to watch the rest of this thing, then I'll be all right. I'll be fine. Just give me some answers in the beginning but there's because there's so many shows like this, and I could list probably so many of them, but I'm not going to go down that road, that take you down the mysterious path but never actually lead you anywhere because they just keep throwing question after question at you. And that's very, very frustrating. One more trailer I want to talk about was Monster Monarch Legacy of Monsters, which is going to be on Apple TV Plus from Legendary Television on November the 17th. And yes, this is the Godzilla series. And we wondered, right, are, how much is Godzilla going to be a part of this thing, if at all? And what we're kind of seeing is, you know, this is the mystery of you know, what is this monarch organization that's kind of bringing about, for lack of a better way of putting it, all of these monsters, right? So what is the deal 
with these things? Well, we slowly start to find out as we're going to be hopping to timelines. They're going to be present day, but also in the 1950s as well. And you sort of see how these two timelines are going to play off of each other because it's the it's these siblings and it's their dad's you know research paperwork and paper trail and stuff like that that they found that they're trying to find out you know what monarch is and how these monsters are suddenly coming about and destroying everything in in San Francisco and other places in the world and they'll they'll want to get to the bottom of this you know is pretty high for multiple reasons and each character has their different reason for wanting to get to the bottom of this thing but what we did see and I was kind of surprised at this there are quite a few other monsters there's quite a few other I don't know if you'd call them kaiju I don't know if we're quite to that level we actually saw, see some like hatching out of eggs and like in an embryonic stage type thing. So I don't know that we could necessarily classify them as kaiju yet, but it is interesting that we have these these monsters and the births of these monsters. And it looks like we are going to get to the bottom of some of what's going on here, or at least scratching the surface of it. So I was worried that, you know, people would react to this and say, well, like, where's Godzilla, which we you could say about you know, the movies that he's been in as well. There's been not enough, you know, monster and a little bit too much human interaction. But I think that this is the one where you're going in saying, okay, we're trying to get to the bottom of what Monarch is. So that's what the show's about. It's not about Godzilla. Godzilla's not even the title. Now, Legacy of Monsters is in the title. We know we're going to get monsters just based on this trailer alone. So that, that kind of, that fear's kind of been put at ease. Now, are we going to get a ton of it? I still don't know that we'll get a ton of it, but it looks like we're going to get enough and certainly some new creatures and some interesting things to look at to have this be, you know, give everybody a little bit of something that they're looking for, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So we'll just have to find out together on November the 17th. Hopefully the actor strike will be over by then because I'd love to talk to some of the actors about this. Looks like it could be really interesting. This is going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the cast and creative team behind Third Eye from Audible for joining me at Comic-Con this year. I'm so glad to finally share that with you guys. Also, follow along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram. Excuse me, the X, whatever you want to call it. Who cares? Facebook.com slash Down and Nerdy. Down and Nerdy Podcast.com is the website. You can also follow along at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.